open the gift. Christ the gift. Um, The writer of that clip explains a little. uh, Everyone has their own traditions for the exchange of presents. Uh, Some families have a grab and rip free for all. Any of those here tonight? No confessions. Um, Others are more orderly as each person around the circle receives the gift and weighs it and shakes it and dutifully exclaims, oh, I wonder what this could be. And, And it's all a pantomime and it's all ridiculous, but we love it. And so we do it anyway. And for most of us, Christmas morning is a time-honoured, gift-giving ritual where each move is important. We know our parts, we play our roles. Uh, We might make fun uh, of our peculiar traditions, but we have these traditions for a reason. Giving and receiving is serious business. So that clip was a fun take on presents, but we know giving and receiving is serious business. Uh, Christmas is about joy, but it's serious about joy. Um, God's gift offers you real and lasting joy. If only you'll take it, open it, receive it. You know, this Christmas, open the gift, Christ the gift, enjoy it. As we read, For God so loved the world he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, every birth of a child is a marvellous event. It brings into being a soul that will never die. But since the beginning of the world, never was a birth so marvellous as the birth of Christ. See, his marvellous birth means not only can we exist forever, we can have eternal life. And so God's invitation to you this Christmas, open the gift, Christ the gift. Uh, Two Christmas truths to bring you and me joy this year. The first truth, Christ radically changed for us. Now God's gift is his transformation for the world that didn't want him. He came down from heaven. So these details of Jesus' birth, you know them, you've heard them time and time again. Uh, But John, John cuts through that. His account sidelines the angels and the babe in the manger. Um, His focus is on God's radical transformation. So John 3.13, Emily read it. Jesus said of himself, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Heaven there, that's that's shorthand for God's presence. Just picture for a moment the invisible God. You might need to close your eyes. Not too long, in this heat you'll fall asleep. But picture our all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful creator. You can't. You can imagine him, but you can't picture him because we can't walk into heaven. We can't go into his presence. We can't go into heaven. We haven't seen him because we are creatures, not creator. We can't go into heaven because our imperfections would ruin it. We can't go into heaven because our failure to perfectly love makes it dangerous to be close to the one who does and is perfect love. See, the sad reality is that you and I belong in this broken world of wars and floods and COVID and chaos. This is where we belong. We can't go into heaven. And so God came to us. The joy of Christmas. Not to visit, he came to become one of us. The all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful creator took on our flesh, our weakness. That is, God at Christmas is fundamentally, essentially changed. He left heaven's comfort. He became human forever. And Jesus lived that life of perfect love that we couldn't. And he came down so that, as John 3 verse 14 puts it, like the snake in the wilderness, he might be lifted up. Uh, Jesus, with those words, he's looking back 
to a deadly plague that ripped through uh, the, God's, God's rebellious people. And at God's instruction, their leader Moses lifted this bronze snake high in the air and anyone who looked to God's way of salvation in that moment was saved. That was the only way to dodge the death they deserved. And at the same time as looking back, Jesus is looking forward. He knows the time is coming when he himself will be lifted up on the cross. See, after living the perfect life that you couldn't, he dies the death for imperfections that you should have. And in verse 16, this gift opens eternal life for all who will look to him. Eternal life. Life is more, we know this, than breathing in and out. It's more than just existing forever. In fact, there is such a thing as everlasting death, existing forever without life. But life, life is goodness and blessing that can't be taken away. Eternal life is this world remade with no more tears or mourning, no more floods or fires. Um, It's about relationship restored. The, The Bible's creation account ties eternal life to being in the presence of God, being in right relationship with him. That is why Jesus later on says these words. He says eternal life is knowing him and knowing the Father. See, Christ radically changed for us that he might lift us up. Um, he is not just a good man. He is not just a moral example. He is not just a wise teacher. He came down from heaven that he might be your saviour. See, Christ's gift, God's Christmas gift, if only you'll receive it, is him opening heaven for us. God changes to give us life. He came to there be a way to be in his presence forever. Um, Dorothy L. Sayers She authored a series of crime novels in the 1930s and 40s uh, and they featured uh, the amateur sleuth Lord Peter Whimsey. You can see him there on the left. Uh, Five books into the series, Sayers introduces the character Harriet Vane on the right. Uh, Harriet Vane, just like Sayers, was an Oxford-educated author Uh, and in the novels that follow, uh, Whimsey falls in love with Harriet, repeatedly proposing... And when she finally agrees, his troubled life is rescued by marriage to her. It has been observed that Sayers, the author, fell in love with her character, wrote herself into the story, entered Whimsy's world in order that she might save him. And Sayers' fiction points to God's fact. God so loved the world, he wrote himself in, he became one of us, that we, you, might have real life. That one and only son, changing, opens heaven for you and me. This is our one shot at eternal life. Someone put it, a -a one-of-a-kind son implies a unique revelation, a single moment, a single possibility, a single opportunity, a single focus, a single source, a single lens, a seminal moment. And from this point on, there is no need to look anywhere else for the knowledge of the Father, to understand heavenly things, to to orient a life, to offer worship, praise and thanks. It's all about Jesus. He is our one shot at life. For in Christ, God's gift, writing himself into creation, he radically changed that you might enter his presence and enjoy eternity without this current brokenness. And with that, the second truth, Christ radically changes us. See, opening the the gift of Christ is not adding one more thing to your crowded life. You're busy enough. No, no, no. It's starting from scratch. Christmas is not just about one birth. It is the call for every single person to be reborn. Christmas is ground zero for your second birth. 
Notice what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Verse 3, he says, you must be born again. And did you notice the kind of person he says it to? Nicodemus is a, a Pharisee, a member of the ruling council. Nicodemus is the model of a together life. You know, he is morally upright. He is successful. He's a good guy. He's, he's honoured and esteemed. He's got spiritual credentials. And he's even, he's even open to having a little bit of Jesus in his life. Notice he seeks Jesus out at night. Now, in John's Gospel, those in the dark are those who haven't fully received Christ. And so Nicodemus comes at night. He comes at night, maybe, maybe to do a deal with Jesus and bring him into the established religious fold, kind of saying, I'll have a bit of you, Jesus, if you come my way. Or, or maybe he came at night because he doesn't want the other Pharisees to know he's interested in Jesus. You know, I'll have a bit of Jesus, but I want to keep my reputation. Either way, Jesus knows Nicodemus comes to him still holding something back, still hiding in some way, not really willing to give his all, saying, I want a little added Jesus, but I don't want him to be everything. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's that image of ultimate change, ultimate dependence. You know this, don't you? No one, no one is born by their own effort. Birth is all the mother's work. And Jesus is telling this good, moral, open-minded man, you know what you've contributed? Every good work you've ever done counts for nothing. You've got to start again, restart at ground zero. Come with nothing. See, God's Christmas gift is him doing everything to give you life, to radically change you, to make you new. Uh, Athanasius, see a picture of him, well, it's not a photo, Uh, But a picture of him, he spoke this in the 4th century, he said, Christ became what we are, that we might become what he is. This is the marvellous exchange. He enters our life that we might enter his. Behold God the Son who has become our brother. Now if it's remarkable enough that God the Divine would come and become one of us, how remarkable we, flesh, might come and enter the Divine, become a brother with the living God. Christ radically changes us. And so if you're coming this Christmas thinking, well, I'll get a little bit of Jesus to top my efforts up, you know, I lack a little bit, you've missed the point. If Jesus has not totally overhauled your life, you have not opened the gift. You can only open it. You can only receive it when you stop leaning on, on, on what you offer God. That's why Christmas is great news for those who know and fear that they're not good enough. Uh, Jesus tells the upright that pimps and prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of them. And and those of us who know that, hey, we've got nothing to offer, that's great. They're glad to be a ground zero because at the moment they're feeling below that anyway. But new birth is hard news for those of us who think we've got something to offer. He'd like to just have a little bit of Jesus on the side. A man came to church and he read some of the accounts of Jesus' life and he went to a course and then he stopped and he cut off contact. Uh, and someone from church saw him a few months later and asked where he'd been and he was now exploring Islam. He liked that Islam gave him things to do, spiritual achievements that he could impress Allah. He understood that Christianity was about grace, a free gift, and he didn't like it. See, this Christmas... Open the gift and let Jesus' work redefine you. That is, centre your life on Jesus' performance, not your own. And if you open that gift, can I suggest you're going to be relieved in ways you'd never expected. So too often, Christmas is this challenge to meet expectations. You know, you've got to give 
presents to those who give a present to you. We saw it in the clip. You know, oh, what can I do? Um, you've got to create the perfect meal and decorations. Um, and then you're supposed to finish that with a relaxing time with family and, you know, no tension, just pure joy. And, you know, Christmas is that sample isn't it, of our need. I've, I've, got to, I've got to succeed in everyday life. And that pressure to perform, you know, for some, burdens us. You know, we feel down on our ability, self-doubt and inadequacy, it's all too much. But for that, that same pressure for others puffs them up and kind of goes, yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay and can look down on others. Um, but opening that Christmas gift, receiving Christ and being born again breaks that cycle of burdens. Your failures don't matter. Uh, it removes the cycle of pride. Your achievements aren't you. What a relief. It's about being born again. It's all about his performance and not about yours. In the days before Christmas 2019, uh, we lived in Lithgow. Uh, if you've forgotten that particular summer, it was the one before COVID. Uh, it was the one of record-breaking heatwaves. Our houses and lives lost on our south coast. Uh, and where we lived, we lived on the doorstep of the Gospers Mountain Fire, which covered a million acres, or more than a million acres. Uh, and that summer, the volunteers of the RFS were the perfect gift. So the Saturday before Christmas, a fire encircled our property, our house. Uh, my family had evacuated, neighbours lost their homes, and the hedge that lined our yard was a wall of flame. And I was going back and forth to my laundry, filling my bucket, going and throwing it on the flames while my neighbours stood and held my garden hose. I did close to nothing. And then when the RFS came with their industrial hose and their massive truck full of water um, to save my property, I'd have been a fool to stand there and show them how impressively I filled my buckets. <laughs> no, 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 it was time for me to step aside. And because I, because I stopped, because I totally trusted them, our house was saved. So Jesus came down from heaven to be your saviour, not your teacher. Notice Nicodemus addressed Jesus, oh, you are a great teacher. And Jesus says, no, 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 Nicodemus, you, don't, you need new birth. And enjoying eternal life begins when you stop trying harder to follow Jesus' teaching. It's putting away your little buckets of performance and, and getting rid of both the burdens and the pride that they bring. What a relief. It's putting your whole life into the hands of the Saviour. It's trusting him and his ways in every moment. It is having your life, your identity, your every moment defined by his gift, his work. I'll finish with this story that Timothy Keller shares. Uh, he writes of it in The Hidden Christmas, of what it looks like to open the gift, how ancient tidings still bring joy. He says, One day a deacon in our church and I walked across the church's parking lot to visit a woman who lived in a rented house. Uh, she was a single mother whose broken relationships with men had left her impoverished, depressed, living somewhat in disgrace in our conservative traditional community and raising her children with almost no help or support. And we sat down and we had a long talk about the gospel and the glad tidings and she responded with joy to the message and she trusted in Christ. And I came back to see her uh, about a week later but when we sat down she burst into tears that week she had called her sister about their conversation with me and, and her new faith and she had been laughed at. And my sister said, to quote, let me get this straight. This preacher told you that a person like you could do all the foolish immoral things you've done all your life and five minutes before you die you can just trust Jesus and be saved? He told you you don't have to live a really good life to go to heaven? 
Well, that's offensive. That's too simple. It's too easy. I'll never believe that and you shouldn't either. And Keller goes on, her sister thought that salvation had to be this great feat achieved by noble moral deeds. It couldn't be something you just asked for. And so the ordinariness of the good news had offended her pride. And he says, I told this weeping woman her assurance and comfort were not unfounded. And we went to the Bible and studied until she saw clearly that Christ came in weakness and smallness to save not the proud, but those who admit that they are also weak and small and need a saviour. And her joy returned. That ancient tiding of Christmas still makes people glad. And indeed, may it make you glad this Christmas. May his gift redefine you. May you share that woman's joy. See, for all the the fun of the peculiar traditions of giving and exchanging presents, remember, this is serious business. This is about serious joy. And so remember to receive. And if you have received, I'd invite you to stand and sing with me as we adore the Saviour. Let's stand and sing.